Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast, where it's our goal to communicate some of the late breaking news and thoughtful insights about the broad array of topics in this rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to all the broad stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. So whether you're a consumer, housing consumer, rater, builder, realtor, or appraiser, you want to hear more about what's happening in the trends in home energy ratings. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for about 30 years and been working with the kind team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. If after listening today you like what you heard and you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please consider doing so by typing ResTalk, that's R-E-S-T-A-L-K, into the search bar of your favorite podcast app. This way, if you subscribe, you'll get all the episodes as soon as they launch. In today's episode, we're going to hear from Eric Makala. He's of the New Buildings Institute. He's going to take us on a journey through the world of energy codes. Now, he's the perfect guide for this journey because he spent the last 30 years training on this topic to practitioners in the building, design, and enforcement industries in a variety of venues in over 20 states. We're going to learn from Eric about the work that MBI does and how they're involved in code development, and also cover some of the states and jurisdictions where more advanced or stretch codes are being implemented also illustrate for us the steps involved in the code update process and what organizations and groups are involved. We'll cover changes that have been put into place for the code in 2018, that's the IECC, International Energy Conservation Code, and some of the things that Eric thinks will be future themes for the next code update in 2021. So listen in to what Eric has to say about the IECC and also how HERS raters can influence and be involved in the development. How are you doing today, Eric? Good, good. Good for a Monday morning. Perfect. Where are you calling in from or where are we talking from? Where are you located? The New Buildings Institute main office is in Portland, but I am working out of my house in Boise, Idaho. It's a great place to live and a lot going on here. And there's actually about five of our staff that are spread out across the country and the bulk of our staff are in Portland. What does the New Building Institute do? NBI, just because New Buildings Institute is kind of a mouthful, it started in 1998, and really the focus was on commercial energy codes, trying to advance commercial energy codes, and also advance energy efficiency in general. And so there's multiple types of programs going on at NBI right now, but from a code standpoint, we have been heavily involved in helping advance codes more on what we consider stretch codes, advanced energy codes that go up, up and beyond the International Energy Conservation Code, for example. And we've been working quite a bit with cities and states. They want to adopt something more than the base code. So these are kind of our advanced cities and states. But we're also looking right now at focusing pretty heavily on zero energy buildings and kind of getting those, translating that from kind of a concept into a reality. So we're looking at multiple ways we can actually advance efficiency in residential and commercial buildings. So that's kind of our mission statement. So where is some of this activity going on? Where are some of the hot spots out there? Because we get listeners from all across the country. We currently have a project with Boulder, Colorado. They're certainly a very advanced city and moving forward heavily with zero energy. We're just wrapping up actually a project in New York State that is, they wanted a stretch code and an advanced code based on the 2018 We've done some work in California. We've done work in Washington State, which is another very advanced state right now. I think they're keeping score. They're one of the top 
states right now from an efficiency standpoint for energy codes. So it's if there's an advanced code that someone wants in a lot of the states, we are somehow involved. So either through consulting or helping directly kind of move things forward, helping develop the codes and policies. So it really varies on the type of work, but that's kind of a broadly across the country. And you mentioned how many people work at New Buildings Institute? I think we're at about 20 staff, something like that, yeah, at last count. And so how did you become to be involved with the MBI? I have been working in the codes world for longer than I want to think about, probably for over 30 years. So either through consulting with the building industry and the architecture industry in my days in California, through working with Pacific Northwest National Laboratory, which did most of the code support in the country right now, and they're still doing a lot of code support to trying to get states to adopt code. So I was there for several years, and we had our own consulting company, Brett Mackler Group, for a number of years. And that, again, was focused on supporting codes primarily with all supporting advancing efficiencies. We were purchased by Cadmus Group a few years ago, and our primary focus when we came on board there was evaluating, actually evaluating how cities and states were doing for code implementation. We had several projects, probably did more codes evaluation than any other company across the U.S., and I came to the point where I really wanted to focus more on the development side and advancing code side and not necessarily evaluating side. So we had actually had, through our old company, Burt Makula Group, projects with New Buildings Institute to actually advance the commercial code and try to get about a 25% gain in efficiency. And this was back in 2012. And so we had been subcontractors to NBI for a few years, and it just seemed like a very good fit and a very natural fit. And it was work that I was excited about doing. And NBI, they're the prime company out there doing most of the advanced codes work right now. I actually contacted them to say, hey, do you want someone else to help out? It actually worked out quite well. And it's been, I think, a good fit overall for everyone. Why codes? Just get real basic. You've been doing this long enough. You've probably been asked this question. But think of like, why do there need to be codes? From my viewpoint, there are a lot of voluntary programs out there. I've seen voluntary programs transform marketplaces. For example, the Las Vegas market years ago with Energy Star and Environments for Living, they were voluntary codes and they really transformed the market in Las Vegas. But the problem with voluntary codes is you can volunteer to participate or you can also volunteer to not participate. And codes actually offer a regulatory platform that requires everyone to participate. And it's really, we look at codes as market transformation. Codes are always looked at as kind of the base minimum, which is true to an extent. Uh, I think over the years, they progress farther than that. But it's a mechanism for getting everyone to build to the same level of efficiency. And then you can have platforms that go above and beyond that. So I've actually found codes challenging to try to advance efficiencies and to try to look for new things that can be put into code that can actually increase efficiency in new residential and commercial construction. So there's a lot of aspects to it that really make a lot of sense. And again, I think when it comes right down to it from a market transformation standpoint, this is kind of the, you have advanced programs that will eventually feed into codes, but codes really are the things that transform the market. And they're probably the most, from an investment standpoint, the cheapest way of going. So most codes, not maybe all, but most codes are cost-effective. And so that's another major aspect that really ties into this thing is the only code on the book right now with a return on investment from a consumer standpoint. So there's a lot of advantages. And this is something that's been kind of a compelling argument to me over the years of why codes are a good thing. 
Is there ever any friction between building codes and energy codes? Because you're still talking about the same structures, right? Absolutely. And for example, my world and from a New Buildings Institute standpoint is our world is the International Energy Conservation Code that is one of a suite of codes of ICC codes. And there's always a discussion that comes up that there's these barriers and conflicts and things like that. In reality, you start actually looking through the codes and there's not nearly as many as people might expect. There are always people that are trying to push the envelope, which is great. They want to do something advanced, and there might be something in one of the codes that says, no, you can't do that. Like gray water systems for plumbing, for example. I mean, there are jurisdictions that allow that right now, and codes are starting to do a pretty good job of addressing that. But in general, I have not seen the barriers to codes that are always brought up as example of these are the things we can't do because there's a lot of flexibility in codes. I think ICC does a good job on actually reviewing the code provisions and looking at the other codes and saying, okay, there's either a conflict or not a conflict, but very rarely does something come up that's truly a conflict for what actually gets into the energy code. And a lot of that is actually identified during the code development process. These things come out during the discussion, and if there's truly a conflict, it will come out. And that's one reason why a code provision may not pass and actually get into the energy code. I don't see the barriers that a lot of people are actually holding up and saying these are the codes are barriers to efficiency. I don't buy that. Maybe there's mental barriers, perhaps. <laughs> I think sometimes one of the things with codes is that jurisdictions enforce codes and interpret code provisions. And sometimes the code interpretation that a jurisdiction may have doesn't meet the spirit of the code its language itself. We do face that. And so it's an education process to say, you're interpreting one way. Here was the intent. And so how you're interpreting is really not how it was intended to be. And you should actually look at it this other way. And so, again, it gets down to an education process. I think most of the jurisdictions do a pretty good job from an interpretation. I have ICC as a backup to be able to contact with them and they'll issue a formal interpretation. But I think that in general, it kind of comes down to we're all humans and we all look at things a slightly different way and we're all trying to move in different directions. And sometimes someone will disagree with another person. And I think that's kind of where it comes down to. How much time or what kind of interface does NBI have with educational aspects? We do training in education, but most of our work is on the development side. We kind of developing guides, testing things out, see how they work, vetting with industry and that type of thing. We do training, but not a huge amount. A lot of our guides that we produce are educational in addition to technical. So it's kind of like, here's the code provision, here's an advanced code, and here's how to implement it. So we do provide education through our guides. And we do actually present quite a bit of conferences and things like that. For a number of years, that was our primary focus through our old company, Britt Mackley Group, was training and education. So that was what we did, is tried to actually take the code provisions and put them into a format that is kind of digestible to the building industry, the code enforcement industry in that time. There's a website, I'm sure, for people who want to learn a little bit more about MBI. What does that sit under, the website, the address? Newbuildings.org will get you to our website with all of our materials and everything else, and everything is pretty much free to whoever wants it. Great. You shared with me the steps of the code update process. Do you want to walk us through those verbally? Absolutely, yeah. It's an interesting process. 
There are the kind of what I look at as the formal steps and then the informal steps. And it's about a five-step process. First step is developing code change proposals, and anyone can do it. And anyone that wants to put more efficiency in the code or has an issue with a provision in the code or clarify a provision, whatever else, literally anyone can submit a code change proposal. The joke was always your mom can submit one, even though she may know nothing about buildings. So it's an open process, and it's specifically open. So again, you can get as much public participation as you possibly can. So right now, for example, we are in the process of, there's a lot of groups out there developing code change proposals. These are all due in the first week of January, 2019. They will be submitted. ICC will compile everything. They will send out what we call a monograph. It's essentially every proposal that was submitted prior to the first round of hearings, which are the co-development hearings, and they'll be in Albuquerque in, I think, April of 2019 this year. So during the co-development hearings, all proposals are heard in front of a group of industry representatives that are made up of code officials, home builders, and consultants. So these are energy consultants, people that are working in the industry that don't really fall under the code official or home builder mantra or uh, kind of bucket. During that time, everyone testifies either for or against proposals, and the committee will vote either to approve or disapprove the proposal. And even if your proposal is disapproved at this point in time, it doesn't mean it's dead. There's still a chance to get it heard again at the next round and actually get it into the code. So after the code development hearings happen, then the next round is kind of the interim piece between the code development hearings and what we call the public comment hearings. And during that time, you can look at everything that happened during the code development hearings and the outcome of each proposal. And if you disagreed with the committee, you could actually submit a public comment to say, I disagreed with the committee and this proposal should go through for whatever reason. Or maybe you liked the proposal, maybe the committee approved it, but you wanted it modified slightly because you didn't quite agree with it. And so the public comment process gives you the opportunity to either support or oppose a proposal and to propose modifications to a proposal. For example, the energy rating index is in the code right now, and that came in in 2015. And we worked very closely with ResNet and other organizations to get that in. And when we first passed it during the code development hearings, it wasn't quite ready. So we actually submitted some public comments on our own proposal, and which needed to happen, cleaned up some language and things like that. And so even though it passed, we modified our proposal, and then that went to the next round, which is these public comment hearings. So at the public comment hearings, you basically hear every public comment that is submitted on a proposal. And not all proposals have public comments submitted to them. And those that don't have it, you don't worry about. But these are only on the ones where there actually have been comments submitted. At this hearing, you don't have a committee. Actually, you testify in front of the government voting members that are going to be voting on your proposal. And the public comment hearings are now kind of a two-step process. You'll testify on behalf of your public comment. The voting members will either vote at the hearing or they have the opportunity to vote electronically about two weeks later after the hearings. And it's a cumulative vote count on that public comment. And that's what either says your proposal passes or it doesn't pass. But the outcomes of that hearing is that you can basically overturn the committee's decision. If they approved a proposal and you didn't like it, the outcome of that could be disapproval. Or if they disapproved a proposal and you pushed to get it approved, you could actually get the proposal approved. And there's a few variations in that. 
But once the votes are tallied, ICC then reviews those and they basically issue the results of the public comments hearings and everything that passed ends up in the 2000, which in this case would be the 2021 IECC. That's typically published the spring following the hearing. So the first round will be in Albuquerque. The second round will be sometime in October of next year in Las Vegas. And then they'll be published. Typically, the code is published in the following spring. That's it in a nutshell. But again, there's nuances and things like that as you work through here. So you've obviously been involved personally in this. It looks like you're speaking from fact, from memory. You've done all these things, have been involved in all these hearings. Yes. I actually served on the co-development committee for four cycles as a committee member. So that would have been the first round. And then I've actually represented ResNet a couple of rounds of hearings and represented other groups, Northwest Energy Codes Group, and some of the hearings too. I've been involved in the co-developments probably since 2003, I believe, that's when I started getting involved in this. It's been a number of years, but I found that if you want to have an impact on the code and if there's things you don't like, then you really need to get involved in the process to change things. And so that's been where I've been coming from on this. Over the course of that time period and involvement with this, were there any thorny or particularly interesting provisions that you could discuss, that you could share with us? Actually, the Energy Rating Index was one of the thornier of the provisions. There were groups that didn't like the concept at all and fought it, really pushed back hard. There were other groups that obviously wanted it in, in the code. It was highly controversial. We were able to get it in, which wasn't an easy thing to do, but it was really the concerted effort of a lot of the proponents and a lot of work prior to the hearings to get that in. Some of the issues were that it was, why should ResNet be in control of a code process, or not the code process, but a compliance approach? And even though ResNet's name wasn't in there, it was controversial because ResNet was heavily involved in this and the Energy Rating Index was the HERS process. We just couldn't call it HERS. We had to call it the Energy Rating Index to try to keep it as generic as possible. So that process was incredibly thorny. This last cycle through actually getting the ICC ResNet Standard 301 in was another thorny process because the original language was written without a standard and we needed to get the standard in to really make sure that it closed a lot of the loops or hoops that we needed to get closed in there. And it was just much better language to be able to reference a standard. So that was one of the major issues. Probably the most contentious one, though, I think that I was involved in was when I was a committee member trying to get the 2006 IECC residential. And that was a proposal by the U.S. Department of Energy to basically simplify the entire residential code. No one was opposed to it, but everyone wanted it tweaked, modified, changed, or whatever else. And so I believe we heard one proposal for about two and a half to three hours from a committee standpoint, which I think set an all-time record for length of time to hear that. But incredibly contentious to the point that no one opposed it, but everyone liked it but wanted it tweaked. But that was a major simplification and really, I think, pushed toward getting people to actually understand what was in the code and and really increase compliance significantly. So it was a major change that I think really did a lot of good from a compliance standpoint. So those are probably the two that stick out of my mind as the most contentious for whatever reason. So there are different reasons. So raters, I think they understand where energy codes impact their work. But what about getting involved in the process? What could they do to be involved? You hit the nail on the head. Raiders, they have to live with the outcome of codes. And when I go to the ResNet conferences, there's always discussions about codes and things don't make sense. From a Raider standpoint, the Raider really can get involved from day one in developing proposals, going to the hearings to actually testify on behalf of them, 
submitting public comments and going to the final action hearings too, and actually working with the jurisdictions between times to get them to understand why the changes they're proposing make sense. We actually have great examples of raters that have been involved or are heavily involved in the process right now, and they've been fairly successful, but they have chosen to, instead of complaining about the code, actually getting there and trying to make it better and trying to look at it from a building science perspective and really change things that don't make sense from a building science standpoint. So we've had some great examples of that over the last few code cycles. But we had support on the Energy Rating Index where Raider showed actually support getting that in to make modifications. So there's multiple places where they can kind of inject themselves into the process to change the code. And again, as I look at the Raider as one of the ultimate end users, it's really to their best interest to do this because they do have to live with what actually comes out of that, especially if they're looking at the Energy Rating Index for code compliance. They are now responsible for enforcing the code through that process. So it's to their best interest to really get involved. So have you attended and presented at the ResNet conferences? Yes, I have actually. I think I've been to the last, ever since the ERI got into the code, I have been speaking at the conferences, actually from day one when the ERI actually got into the code. So yes, I think I've attended since the Atlanta conference, I've attended every one of those. And I'm normally speaking on some code-related topic. Sometimes the message is get involved, or this is how you can get involved. But it's really, there is always a message about you need to be involved in this process. And will you be coming to the next conference in February of 2019? I'm hoping to. We did submit a paper. I haven't heard the outcome of that yet, but the actual topic of that is that conference will be right before the code development hearings, and it'll hopefully be an overview of what's actually being proposed this year. So we can talk to people about getting involved in the process to see if they're willing to come to the hearings to actually either support or oppose some of the proposals. So that it'll be kind of an overview as far as we know of what's actually been submitted for residential code change proposals. Are there any proposed changes you could talk about right now that are sort of already on the docket? The different groups out there are currently working on proposals, and we are certainly tracking as many of these as we can and also working on our own. For example, what we're doing right now is we're actually developing a zero energy appendix for residential, just because there's been a call for jurisdictions that want a more advanced code and and a need for that. So we're actually working on our own zero energy appendix that'll actually be based on the energy rating index approach. So that's one of the ones that we know that we're developing that are moving forward. There's, I think, probably this is always the hard one because you always have to kind of look in your crystal ball to figure out, okay, who's doing what and where are people coming from? I think you're going to see proposals this year on renewables. Our Obviously, our ZE appendix one is based on renewables, but I think you'll see proposals coming in that are either continuing to promote the use of renewables or to basically oppose the reuse or actually limit the use of renewables in favor of efficiency for the building. So I think you'll see some of those. I haven't seen any right off the top, but I suspect those are going to be coming. One of the proposals that we are working on right now is a Washington points-based proposal that essentially you would comply prescriptively with the code, and then you'd have to pick a certain number of points to gain more efficiencies. And this might be for things like high-efficiency heating and cooling equipment, better windows, more advanced windows, more insulation in the building envelope, whatever it's going to be. But we've seen effective use of that in Washington state to actually drive efficiency changes. That's one that we will be submitting ourselves. So there is a push right now through some of the groups to actually get advanced efficiencies in the code. We've had kind of a lull the last couple of cycles. I think maybe we've 
generously gained about maybe one and a half percent increase in efficiency since between the 2015 and 2018. So for residential, we haven't gained much efficiency at all. So I think there is a push right now to try to actually get about a 10% efficiency gain this year, which is going to be a fairly steep climb. But there are groups that are kind of pushing that, that right now to see what we can do from an efficiency standpoint, primarily because there's a need for it. The jurisdictions are really calling for a residential code that is going to help them meet their carbon goals and their energy goals. So there's a real need for advanced efficiency on the residential side. So from the standpoint of the adoption of codes in various jurisdictions, is there any type of overview resource that would allow people to see how things are developing across the country? As far as base codes or advanced codes? Base codes. One of the problems that we have with the energy code is there are no goals. I think several groups have goals for where they want to see the code to go, but there's nothing actually stated in the energy code that will say every cycle will gain X amount of efficiency. So from a national standpoint, we don't have that to drive the state goals. Certainly like Washington State, for example, has got some pretty progressive goals to push them toward, I think it's their 2030 goal to actually reduce energy by a significant amount. So there are states with fairly aggressive energy goals that are actually driving state-developed codes. Washington State, for example, takes the IECC and then modifies that to make sure it meets their energy goals. So we are seeing that. I think Washington might be one of the prime examples. Certainly California's got their zero energy goal or zero energy code that's just coming in right now, or they're working with, or I guess it actually is being deployed right now. But I think from a non-California state and something that's actually got a basis of the IECC, Washington's probably one of the best examples right now of someone moving forward. And also New York State with their stretch code too. They're another example that's moving through the process. So those are, if you want examples of states that are kind of pushing things along, those are probably the two prime states. Boulder has got zero energy goals right now, and they're basing everything off the 2018 for both residential and commercial. And so they'll be coming out with their new code probably in in the next year. So probably the three jurisdictions or a couple of states in a jurisdiction right now I can think of that would be a good example to track as far as how they're progressing. And I'm skimming along through your website here as we're talking and seeing that there's a place to sign up for a newsletter. So that'd be a good way for people to keep in touch with the concepts of zero energy, just the codes and policies in general. So it's great you offer that. Any themes for the future? You'd mentioned renewables. Is that pretty much the predominant theme you believe for the future? I think the theme is actually going to be zero energy. I think that there's a lot of excitement about that. There's zero energy, net zero carbon, electrification. We see these as kind of the where things are heading. And there is, I don't want to say rational ways of getting to zero energy, but I think there are some practical ways of doing it that really focus on efficiency first and then installing renewables just to make sure that the buildings are as efficient as possible from a cost-effectiveness standpoint before you put panels on the roof. So we have been focusing heavily on that aspect. And we have some initiatives that are really also trying to look at how buildings can be what we call good grid citizens to make sure that they don't produce power at the wrong time of the day to where utilities end up with a surplus that they can't use. So we have a, um, our Grid Optimal initiative that we're working closely with industry on the utilities and others on that to try to kind of develop a rating system for what a building should look like that is actually a good grid citizen that uses power at the right time. It doesn't put too much power out on the grid and that type of thing at wrong time. So that's one of the areas. But I think zero energy in general, with again, the emphasis on efficiency, efficiency first and then renewables. That's kind of where we're 
pushing right now, and it seems to be where the need is. So we're doing everything we can right now from a research standpoint and everything else to help industry out and to provide policy and codes and everything else to move forward. So I think you can see quite a bit of that from us over the next number of years. Are you at all tuned into storage as a possibility for offset of the good citizen aspect? Absolutely, yeah. I think storage will have to be a part of this. It's how much storage is going to be the question. So that is definitely going to have to be part of, and I think that's going to have to be part of our zero energy building too, just from a code standpoint and everything else. So I think you'll see. So storage is something we are starting to discuss because again, that will be a part of not dumping as much power as you can during the wrong times of the day on the grid, but actually storing it and using it for other, saving it for peak and that type of thing. So you can really make the biggest benefit out of your renewable sources. We covered a lot of topics here today. You've clarified a lot about how the energy codes all work together and sort of where you fit in, where the new buildings institute fits in. Are there any topics that we missed that you'd like to talk about? I think the one thing that I didn't talk about was who gets involved in this process. And it's right now we have huge industry representation involved in the energy code process, the development process. And there are those that think, gee, I don't want to make the commitment to do this because it's not going to do any good and I won't have an impact. But if you don't get involved, then again, you don't have a say in what actually gets into the code. But it's one of the things I did was kind of develop a shopping list of types of industries that are involved in energy codes that people may not think about. Obviously, ResNet has been involved, National Association of Home Builders, Leading Builders of America. So you start looking at from a ResNet standpoint, especially who are my clients? Well, LBA is probably a large client to several of the rating industry. You have the insulation industry involved the solar industry, the wood industry, the masonry industry, plastic insulation industry. You've got states and jurisdictions. You have the gas and electric industry that are involved too in this whole process. So I think my message is there are a lot of people involved in forming the energy code. That's the one thing that people I don't think realize that this is a very industry-driven code, probably more so than other codes. Manufacturing industry, building industry, and this is just on the residential side. You've got a whole cast of players on the commercial side too. So I think it's important to realize that there's a lot of people playing in this game and are they in from a rating standpoint, rater standpoint, provider standpoint, wherever you fall, it's important to get involved. Otherwise, you have a lot of other people making decisions for you. And then you're kind of the ultimate end user again, and you're stuck with the decisions. Get involved, keep involved, stay involved. It's not that difficult. There are lots of resources. Exactly. And it is a commitment, but it's a commitment every three years. So it's not a yearly commitment. And it's also enriching too. You're going to meet other people, you're going to be exposed to other concepts and thoughts and perhaps take your career in a different direction. Who knows? Absolutely. The people that show up at the hearings or get involved in things like that are people you may never have corresponded with earlier or never thought about earlier. And they do come in, obviously, with their thoughts um, and with their positions and things like that. But I actually find the hearings pretty educational about things that can and can't be done and the problems and issues that are happening in the industry that you'd never know about otherwise. And you learn about different markets and what drives different markets. So it's been a real learning process for me over the last number of years being involved in this. Well, Eric, I got to really thank you. I sort of hear a smile in your voice when you're talking. I think your eyes are probably lit up right now, even though I can't see you on the other end of the microphone. You really love this stuff. You're very passionate about it. It was really fun and educational to have you on the episode today. Great. I appreciate that, and I appreciate being invited to be on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Res Talk Podcast, and we hope you get involved, like Eric has suggested here. And if not, just take a listen to some of the other episodes and see where you can get involved.
Thank you very much again, Eric, and take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. We hope Eric instructed you in a few things that you didn't know about the International Energy Conservation Code and also learn some things and some ways in which you can be involved in that code development process. If you're a pro in the building market, you should surf on over to resnet.us professional to learn more or to join the email list. You also might want to consider coming to the industry conference, the ResNet Industry Conference, which will be in New Orleans, Louisiana, February 25th through 27th, 2019. You can learn more about that conference at www.conference.resnet.us. If you're interested in hearing back, or not just hearing back, but perhaps feeding back to ResNet and what you heard here today, that's the way that works, or you want to hear a new topic covered or just another general question, please send an email to info at resnet.us. I want to close with a thought or quote here, and this is from Rochelle Goodrich from the book Smile Away. It's going to talk about involvement. It's impossible to be involved in all situations, but there's no excuse not to be involved in something, somewhere, somehow, with someone make an ounce of difference. I think that's some of what Eric was alluding to today when he's talking about getting involved in the code development process. If you're not subscribed yet, please consider doing so. That way you get the latest episodes as they launch automatically. Now, as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk, and we hope to have you coming back again to hear the next episode. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the ResTalk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn, produced by Brian Orr, and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for ResTalk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes of the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on ResTalk.